Um, we're we're going to continue our series, um, Put Your Life Together. As you know, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been focusing on the book of Ruth, and we've been journeying through this book. Uh, we began with the first chapter, and now we're in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. And it's been a good journey, and I, I'm enjoying this uh, journey along with you, discovering some truths that really uh, empower us and equip us to put our lives together. We're going to learn another key principle to putting our life together. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you is that in this house, we believe in the power of the prophetic. What do we mean by the prophetic? We believe that God not only has spoken, but he is speaking. The Bible tells us seven times in the book of Revelation, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So the God that has spoken continues to speak today. And there are times when God will speak a right now word to us that is in line with his word. Nonetheless, it is fresh because it makes his word not only uh, powerful, but also present to us. And so I want you to get ready because uh, next Wednesday uh, you're going to experience uh, a little bit of what's been happening through the activating the prophetic. Uh, they're going to begin a new course on that. And uh, we're going to have that class actually take place in this as a general session. And then we're going to believe that the prophetic will be activated next Wednesday night here. So get ready, okay? Because we believe that not only do we need to talk about it, we need to see it in demonstration. And God is doing it. Amen? So put your life together, we're looking at tonight. And I want to focus on how to put your life together the right way. The right way. Ruth chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And uh, I want you to notice right offhand... I underline something in verse 1, and there's a purpose, and we'll get to it at the beginning of this message tonight. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. That's good counsel right there. Because men are at their best when they've eaten well. Amen. Come on, man. I gave you a good chance there to say amen. Thank you. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet. That's brave, huh? Some of you don't have a sense of humor, but there, if you would look at the Bible the way I do, you'd be like, man, that's funny right there. Going for the guy's feet, okay, and lie down, and he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain 
And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Understand the reason why he was on the threshing floor was for two reasons. One, he was protecting, he was protecting the harvest. And secondly, he was getting ready for his shift. So that, that'll give you historical context to why he was laying there on the threshing floor was to protect the harvest and also because his shift was going to come up next. And so he was ready. That's important to note. Now, I told you that at the beginning I underlined a phrase there in verse one on purpose because you'll notice it said that my daughter, Naomi speaking to Ruth, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you. It's Naomi telling Ruth, I want to make sure you're settled. I want to make sure you got all that you need. This is the woman that returned to her homeland bitter. But now we see there's a shift in her attitude. She's no longer whining or complaining about the wrong she felt she had endured. But now she is seeking the well-being and welfare of another. I want to point out to you tonight that wanting and working towards seeing someone else get blessed is a sign that your life is growing from bitterness to betterment. When you find yourself in your heart beginning to long and desire for somebody else to be blessed, for somebody else's life to become better and enriched, then I can guarantee you that bitterness is beginning to lose its hold in your life. Bitterness is being broken off of your life. This is a sign here that Naomi was going through a shift in her attitude and that her life was getting better because she is no longer focusing on her past. Now she's looking ahead to promise. Can I say that again? She is no longer focusing on the past. Now she's looking forward to promise. That's when you know that your life is about to go to another level. That's when you know that your past is no longer holding you captive and hostage and stuck. That's when you know that you're about to be taken to an area and, a, and, a, and an arena and into another level that you have not known because your bitterness and also your past is being broken through the power of God's working in your heart and life. Now, this passage from the third chapter of Ruth reveals that we can't put our lives together without doing things right. If you want your life or you want to put your life together, you got to do it right. You got to go about it the right way. And throughout this third chapter of Ruth, the passage that we've read, we see how we can put our lives together the right way. First of all, we must have the right purpose. We must have the right purpose. Ruth's purpose for going to the threshing floor and lying at the feet of Boaz was to establish a lasting relationship with him. And, 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 and there was nothing improper. There was nothing immodest in what she was doing. 
This was part of their culture. This was part of the process for her to get connected to the kinsman redeemer. To the one that could buy back the property they had lost. As well as reestablish the family line with blessing. So she was not doing anything immodest or improper here. She was following the culture of her peop- of the people of Israel. Now, in doing this, she wasn't settling for a passing relationship. She was seeking a lasting relationship. Mm. You got to keep in mind, according to Ruth chapter 2, she came to know Boaz as her benefactor. The one who fed her and protected her. Then she discovered that he could potentially become her redeemer which would change the status of their relationship from passing to lasting. And Ruth is determined, I'm not going to settle for anything less than what is within my reach. I want you to understand something. You can either settle for what's with, with what you're going through, or you can make up your mind because the good father... The good God says to you and I, through His Son, Jesus Christ, I didn't just come to give you life. I came to give you life to the fullest. You can determine like Ruth tonight, I'm not settling for what I've got when God promises me that He's got more. Mm. You see, what I've discovered is some Christians want to put their lives together just to escape problems or receive blessings and benefits. Naomi and Ruth had the right purpose in mind. Ruth wanted to give herself and her love completely to Boaz. We must have the same purpose for our lives, to totally commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying tonight is our relationship with Jesus needs to go from casual relationship whose sole purpose is for our blessing, for receiving merely His protection and provision. Instead, we must desire a deep, intimate relationship with Him. I I, I believe that when the more you go deep with God, the more you discover the, not only how good He is, but also how great He is. The more you go deep with God, not only do you discover more of His goodness, but you also discover more of His greatness. The more you go deep with God, not only do you find out how good His provision is, you also begin to experience how great His power is. You, you got, that's why Paul said that I may know Him, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. What I'm saying tonight is, like Ruth, we've got to have a made-up mind. And we've got to have a made-up mind that says, I'm after the right purpose. I realize I wasn't born just to be blessed by God. I was born to be connected to God, to fulfill His purpose, which is a lot bigger than any blessing I could receive. And not grow casual. And not be content with the casual relationship. Let me tell you straight up. Casual Christians become casualties. 
Casual Christians become casualties. Now, what did she want for, what did, what, what did Naomi want for her daughter-in-law, Ruth? She, in verse 1, it, it uses the word security. The word security there, it's from a Hebrew word which means to be settled for life. It speaks of rest and protection in one's own home. How many of you would love to know that you are safe and secure in Jesus? This happens in our lives when what Paul prayed for takes place in our hearts. What did Paul pray for in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? Notice, he said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Remember I talked about going deeper. And the more we go deeper with him, the more that we will not just know the goodness of his provision, we will come to know the greatness of of his power. And what happens when his power is working in us? Notice the next verse. Then Christ will make his home where? In your hearts as you trust in him. And then watch this. Your roots will grow down into what? And keep you what? The deeper you go with God. The, the more that you make it your purpose to know Him intimately and closely, the deeper your roots will go into His love. Ooh, this is so good. Because when you grow deeper in God and you discover how much He loves you, the deeper you go with Him, the more rooted you become. And, 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 and we heard it tonight. Seasons coming. Seasons going. Storms are going to come. And storms are going to go. But if you have it in your mind, my purpose is to not be casual, but committed to Him and grow as deep as I can with him, then your roots are going to be so deep that there is no storm that is going to be able to uproot you. You will be settled. You will be secure. You will be assured. You will be protected. Like Ruth, when we choose to go deeper in our relationship, we start to enjoy not only his gifts, but also the giver. Mm. If all you want in life are the gifts God has for you, then you'll never really put your life together. But if you establish a deep, personal relationship with the giver of every good and perfect gift, according to James 1.17, then your life can really change. So we, point, we noted, first, we must have the right purpose. Secondly, we must go to the right person. <laughs> Look with me at Ruth chapter 3 verse 10. Ruth 3 verse 10. We didn't read it before, but we're looking at it now. It says, then he said, this is Boaz. Blessed are you of the Lord, speaking to Ruth, my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Jack Hayford in the Spirit-Filled Life Bible shares the following commentary on Ruth 3.10. He points out that Boaz's words 
seemed to suggest that young men were attracted to Ruth. This also suggests that due to his age, he, have, he may have been shy in approaching her, which necessitated, or necessitated Ruth approaching him. Hmm. Ruth knew she had options. But Ruth was not seeking optional living. She was seeking optimal living. Look it up. She was not seeking optional living. She was seeking optimal living. She wanted the best. There was some young men that were interested in her, but she was like, I want more than a sugar daddy. I want more than somebody that can temporarily take care of me or somebody that's content with a long distance. I want somebody that really wants me. Oh, and this is what I want you to see. Watch this, guys. Oh, this is good. I, it's like fire in my bones. But there, she, she could have picked anybody. They, they, were, they, were, they were scoping. They were looking at her. And, they, and she fine and everything. But she's like, you can have your eyes on me. But I got my eyes on one. And who did she have her eyes on? The one she knew. The kinsman redeemer. The one she knew that was qualified. The one she knew that was resourced. The one she knew that had more than the look. He had the stuff. Ah. I'm trying to break it down, but I gotta keep it there. <laughs> ah, I want to ask you, what, what about you? Are you seeking optional living or are you seeking optimal living? Let me remind you of what Jesus said, and I quoted it earlier in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal. And to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it how? More abundantly. I want you to remember that when Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem, to Naomi's homeland, they didn't have enough. And then when Ruth started in chapter 2, to work for Boaz, she had just enough. But now, in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi tells her, he's a relative. And if you get connected to him, we'll go from just enough to more than enough. Because he's qualified and he's able to buy back what we lost. And then, not only will he restore what we lost, but then his resources, 
His provision will now be yours. This is why Jesus deserves your look. Jesus deserves your attention. Because only Jesus is qualified to redeem humanity. Only Jesus is qualified to be your Redeemer and my Redeemer. He was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. Jesus is qualified because the God-man became like us. He came and He dwelt among us. He took on our nature, yet keeping His own divinity. And yet, he went through every experience we go through in the sense of knowing the struggle, knowing the pain, knowing the challenges, knowing temptation, knowing test, knowing trial, knowing tribulation. Jesus knew it, but never once did he give in. Never once did he yield. Never once did he give himself over to temptation. Why? Because he had one thing in mind. I want to get up on that cross as a sinless sacrifice so that I can become the redeemer of anybody that wants to move from not enough and wants to move from just enough to more than enough because I came not just to give you life, but life more abundantly. He's the right person. Yeah. I know, I know it's Wednesday and I'm supposed to be subdued and a teacher. But when I feel this, I just, I just got to. Would you say, Pastor? Just say it, Pastor. Do you. Thank you. All right, here we go. And then, if you want to do it the right way, thirdly, we must make the right preparations. Look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 3 again. Here, Naomi's giving her some instruction to prepare for that time in which he's going to go and lay at his feet, which was customary for a person that was seeking help from someone who could become the Redeemer. She tells her, therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment." I gotta behave because I. Uh... All right, let's go on here. Naomi's instructions to Ruth has a spiritual application to us today. Whenever we sin, we must pray, "Wash me." That's what David did in Psalm fifty-one. Verses 2 and 7. He prayed after sinning and being confronted by the fact that he had sinned against God. He told God, wash me. But sometimes God says to us, wash yourself and be clean. Isaiah 1.16. You see, we must separate ourselves from whatever defiles and grieves the Father. If you go to, and just, just, just go back to this if you want on audio or watch it on our Facebook page. But 2 Corinthians 6.14 all the way to 7, one. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 6, verse 14 all the way to 7.1. 
There it starts out by Paul talking about the difference between uh, those who serve Baal and those Bilal and those who serve God. And then he makes some statements regarding the promises of God that God promises to be our father and, and we'll become his children and that he'll make his home amongst us. But then right after that at 7-1, he says, therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse or wash ourselves of anything that defiles or contaminates our spirit and our body. What's he saying? You want God's promises to work in your life? Then wash yourself. Sometimes people be wondering, why isn't it that God's promises aren't activated in my life? It's because there's a short circuit. And that short circuit is because of sin in my life that I need to wash myself from. You see, it's one thing to say, God, wash this, wash this, wash this. But if it's something that I continue to engage in, there comes a moment when God says, wash yourself. In other words, leave it. Lay it aside. Quit. Throw it out. Evict it. Then His promises... will be manifested in our lives. And then she told her, I love this, anoint yourself. Mm -hmm. Eastern peoples use fragrant oils to protect and heal their bodies and make themselves pleasant to others. Now, remember, Ruth had been working in Boaz's field, right? How many people, like me, I experienced it several summers in my life. In fact, one summer, Mama and Daddy let me know, you want your school clothes for next year? Go with your grandpa and work in topping onions. How many of you know when you've been working out there, and I've done grapes, I've done pears, I've done oranges. How many of you know when you're out in the field, you don't end the day smelling like a rose? Right? So now you understand. And Ruth had been working on the, in the field. She had been working in the field. And, and, and so this is practical advice. Now, now, he's your potential redeemer. But you need, uh, you need to <clears throat> work on yourself so that you can gain his favor. That's what she's just had practical, practical, right? <laughs> and, and anoint yourself. Girlfriend, make yourself smell. Better than the field. That's what, that's what, that's what she's saying. Yeah, practical. Anoint yourself. But I want you, I want you to get a hold of this. Uh, Anointing oil speaks of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hear it all the time. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish God would give me give me an anointing or anoint me or give me a stronger anointing. Well, I discovered there's a way to a stronger anointing. In fact, Jesus experienced it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Hebrews 1, 9. Notice, this is referring to Jesus. It says, it says you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, watch this, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. 
Look how it reads in the New Living Translation. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. Watch this. Pouring out the oil of joy on you. Watch this. More than on anyone else. The problem I have with some church folk, they go from conference to conference. They go for... Oh, so-and-so's coming to town. I got to go because I want them to anoint me. I want to get a fresh anointing. And it's like you go and, and then you come back and it lasts for two weeks and there ain't no change. You're back to your same old attitude. Why? Because you don't need nobody to be putting hands on you. You need to anoint yourself. And how do you get that stronger anointing? You start to gain a love for what's right. You start pursuing righteousness. I'm telling you, there, there's, no, there's no secret formula. And, and, and this is why I, I'm going to tell you as your pastor, don't, 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 don't believe somebody that says, oh, come, 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 come up here, let me give you some of my anointing. I don't want your anointing because God didn't call me to do what you're doing. He called me to do what He's graced me to do. And therefore, I need to anoint myself. Yeah, or, or you got those... I'm, 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 uh, you got me stirred up now. You got them people that say, "Okay, send me thirty-two ninety-nine, and I'll send you uh, anointing oil straight from Israel." You don't need no one. I, I got anointing oil, and I, I got it in there in my office. But I'm not there like, oh, this. I, we really need to use it. I'll, I'll use Crisco oil. I'll, I'll use Penn's oil, and it'll be just as powerful because the anointing is on what's on your life, what's functioning in your life. And if you're living in righteousness and you're pursuing God's will, I'm telling you, His power is unhindered to flow in your life. Ah, and then He told her. She told him, she told her, she told her, uh, Naomi told Ruth, put on your best garment. Girl, dress for success. Get rid of them raggedy clothes that you just came in from the field with and put on your best garment. Watch, I love this, I love this. Because here, here's what you got to see what's behind what she's saying. Ooh. In other words, Naomi or Naomi was telling Ruth, take off your widow's garments. You have been wearing them long enough. Put on fresh clothes. In other words, she was saying, we are no longer going to live in the past. We are going to live for the future. Some of you need to take off the garments of your past life. In other words, like Warren Wiersbe put it, Abraham, he said, you need to take off your grave clothes and put on your grace clothes. God's given you a new garment to don to wear. And, and, and so what, 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 what Ruth was being told was, girl, it's time for you to go from your weeping season to your reaping season. It's time for you to quit crying about my son that died just like I've been crying over my husband that died because now we have somebody within our reach that can redeem what we lost. But we're not going to 
know it until we decide we're not going to stay stuck to the to the past, but we're going to stretch to our promise. Is there anybody tonight that would dare to say, I'm done with being stuck to my past. I'm choosing tonight to stretch to my promise. I'm changing my garments. I'm throwing off my grave clothes and I'm putting on my grace clothes because I realize my Lord and Savior is able not only to deliver me, but to restore everything that I've lost. Oh, and we talked about it at the beginning of the service. Connie took us to the story of the prodigal son. And you remember in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, we read this, that what he got clothed with. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe. Woo, I like that. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Woo. Wow. Bring the finest robe. I don't know what you ladies like to wear anymore. I don't know. I just know that back in the day it was the mink coat. You know. And, and the guys and with the suits, they want the Italian suits. And, 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 but here it's saying the finest robe. Why? So that from this day on, When my son walks out of the house, he's no longer wearing them beggar clothes. He's no longer wearing them clothes that identify him as a pauper. When he walks out of the house, people are going to know he's a son with a restored inheritance. He's a son who is under the protection and also within the capability of experiencing the ongoing provision of his father. I want you to know something. When I came to Jesus, I came with beggar clothes on. When I came to Jesus, I came as a pauper. I was broke. I was busted and disgusted. I was messed up, as they say, from the floor up. But thank God, when I showed up to Daddy's house, he said, Son, we're getting rid of your grave clothes, and I'm putting you on grace clothes. I am going to clothe you with the best. You're not going to be wearing what you earned. You're going to be wearing what my son paid for. I'm going to clothe you with the garment of righteousness. So that when you're wearing that, even when the devil is on the sideline accusing you, saying, but do you know what they did before they came to your house? He, I'm going to look at you and say, I don't care what they did right now. All I see is my son in them, through them, because they're covered with his righteousness. And one more, one more, one more, one more. Say one more. We got to, the right way is we must be at the right place. Watch this. Four times in Ruth chapter 3, four times in Ruth chapter 3, you find the phrase, his feet, his feet, his feet, his feet. Verses 4, 7, 8, and 14. Ruth 3, 4, 7, 8, and 14. You find the phrase, his feet used. Watch this. Previously, she had fallen before his feet, Boaz's feet, to thank him for his gifts. That's in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. 
It tells us in Ruth 2.10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But watch. In Ruth 3, now she would come to present herself to him. Watch this. In Ruth 2, Boaz came to Ruth. But in chapter 3, Ruth went to Boaz. In chapter 2, Ruth fell at his feet because he was so kind to her. In chapter 3, she came to him because she wanted him rather than the gifts. She wanted to blend her life with his life so that he was all that she needed. And also all that he had would now become hers. Do you see it? Mm. She's bowing at his feet because she realizes he's got the authority. He's got the power to redeem me. He's got the ability to buy back what I've lost, what my mother-in-law lost, and he's got the ability to keep our family name going on and blessing our lineage. Can I tell you, like I told you on Sunday, that through Jesus, your family can be blessed. I don't care what the devil has done to your family. I don't care what your family line has been like. I'm so glad that he can restore in such a way that your family will not know, be known for its history, but for making history because of the one that can redeem and restore. Oh, and let me bring this plane to a landing by showing this is why uh, we bow at Jesus' feet. Let me tell you why we bow at Jesus' feet quickly. One, it's recognition. Two, it's, it, it's submission. Three, it's adoration at the feet of Jesus. Why do we bow at the feet of Jesus first? Recognition. I want you to see this in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 in the Amplified Classic. It says, and when from a distance he saw, who saw? A demon-possessed man that had a legion of demons. When he saw Jesus. He ran and fell on his knees before him in homage and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have I to do? What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? What is there in common between us? I solemnly implore you by God, do not begin to torment me. Did you hear that? A man possessed by a thousand demons is bowing at the feet of Jesus and saying, don't torment me. What was happening? Oh. Not only that man, but the demons inside of him were bowing down at the feet of Jesus because of recognition. You better recognize tonight. There's one that is king of kings and lord of lords. There's one that is more powerful than anything that has come against your life. That's why we bow. It's in recognition. And then it's submission. It's submission. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 5, 22 and 23. And behold, one of the rulers say rulers. One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will. I want you to understand, Jairus was a ruler. He was a man of authority. He was a man of power. But when he came to Jesus, he 
bowed at the feet of Jesus. He was submitting himself because he recognized here's one who has higher authority. Here's one who has greater power. And I want you to know, if you know the story, you know what happened. Jesus, on his way to heal this guy's daughter, Jesus was touched by the woman with the issue of blood. And then this man is told that not your daughter that was sick, now she's dead. But Jesus told him, don't fear. Let's keep going to your house. And, and, and I want you to see this, that, 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 that Jesus knew. He knew that he was going to be interrupted. He knew that the guy's daughter was going to die. But nonetheless, he encouraged Cyrus, don't fear. Let's just keep on believing and let's go to your house. Why? Because Jesus wasn't about to heal his daughter. Jesus wanted to bless him with even more. Jesus wanted to show him, my power is not limited to just healing sick folk. My power can raise the dead. Ah, it could be that the reason why God is delaying in your life is because he's got a greater blessing than you came to him in the first place for. Submission and then last, adoration. You know the story, the, 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 the ten lepers that were healed. And the Bible tells us in Luke 17, 15 through 16, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Why do we bow at the feet of Jesus to give him adoration? He's worthy. Unless you know what I'm talking about, you can't identify. But there's some of us in this room, including myself, that like those lepers, we had something in our lives that was incurable. Something that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't cure ourselves from. And started feeling like the leper, outcast, separated, unworthy. Because our condition would remind us, you're stuck. And you can't do anything about it. But then came Jesus. I've been healed. I've been delivered of stuff I couldn't deliver or heal myself from. And I tell you over and over again, you wonder why I praise Him the way I do. There ain't no shame in my game of praise. You ain't going to get me to tone it down. You can look at me funny and I'll still lift my hands. You, you, you can tell me I'm emotional and I'll just tell you it's more than emotion. It's a gratitude that's based on an understanding that there is only one who can deliver, redeem, and set free. And he's worthy of our praise. And tonight... I just feel it's about coming to his feet. For some of us, it's coming to his feet in recognition because something in our lives seems just too big. But we got to come at his feet in recognition. But he's bigger still. Others of us, we need to come and submit and say, Lord, 
I've got credentials, I've got authority, I've got a title, I've got a, I've got a recognition of, 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 of having status in life, but I submit that before you. And I submit my care to you. This is bigger than what my hands can do. And others of us, it's simply coming and at his feet and bowing to give him worship. Because we know I'm free tonight. Not because of my doing. I tried and tried and tried, but I couldn't cure myself. I couldn't heal myself. But he has. And he's worthy. And that one, that one that returned, he got more than the nine who didn't. They were healed. But the Bible says he was made whole. He got a greater blessing because he returned and came and bowed at the feet of Jesus. And I dare to say tonight, for those of you that will bow, at the feet of Jesus, you will experience a greater blessing than what you've already known in your life. Because it's at the feet of Jesus that we come to realize what the Scripture reveals, that everything is under His feet. Everything is under his control yeah and so I'm going to issue an invitation right now because I, this is what I felt this afternoon when I was wrapping up I just felt the Lord say just invite people to the feet of Jesus and he'll do what he does so you, tonight I'm going to invite those of you that will Come and just come to the feet of Jesus. Just come. Bow before Him. It's not my touch or anybody else's touch. It's His touch that makes the difference.